study of Genesis. We have gone through the creation. We have gone through the fall. We are at the end of Genesis chapter 3. And in the last three weeks, we have been talking about the implications of man's rebellion against God as it started so long ago in the Garden of Eden. Um, last week, we start. We looked at, in the past, we've looked at man's broken relationship with God. We've looked at man's broken relationship with the world. Uh, we've seen that, I mean, even here, our bodies are broken. Bad and horrible things happen when we're young and when we're old. Uh, we have been anchored here because there is so much because of man's broken relationship with man. Uh, last week, we saw how that's manifested simply in our rudeness to one another. And if you want a, a fairly startling passage of Scripture to back that up, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 will curl your hair, if it isn't already. Uh, we looked at um, man's broken relationship with man in abortion. Um, Our responsibility to speak for the life of the child. Our responsibility to care for mothers who are wrestling with this wretched decision. Our responsibility to offer the grace in Christ for women who have gone through with abortion. There is no sin beyond God's forgiveness, beyond the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We looked at man's broken relationship with man in the issue of euthanasia. Um, we looked at capital punishment uh, last week. Um, and I'd like to kind of go on a rabbit trail here for a moment, something we didn't talk about, but I would like to factor in uh, with regard to capital punishment. By the way, whose idea was capital punishment? God's. God's idea. Why does God mandate capital punishment? Genesis 9, verses 5 through 6. Why does God mandate this? That's right. If man is nothing more than another animal, who cares? It just doesn't matter. If, you know, I, I go out and I went deer hunting. And I shot a deer. And nobody held me to account because I shot a deer. Fishing, whatever. I mean, anybody going to have bacon this afternoon? And we, we're not held to account for that. But we are held to account for man. Why? Because man is created in God's image. God tells us that in the very first chapter of the very first book. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created he them. It doesn't simply perpetuate the problem by us taking the life of a murderer. It brings cosmic justice. Why? Because that authority has been delegated to man by Almighty God. He goes, now it is your responsibility to police that. Okay? So 
A rabbit trail I want to go to here for a moment is, and this is, this is going to open up a huge can of worms that I'm just going to leave. I'm going to open it up and leave it because it's something we need to think about and talk about and we could probably spend a month, <clears throat> a month of Sundays discussing it. Um, why are there so many blacks on death row? Right now, in the federal judicial system, there are 1,094 blacks on death row. There are 1,469 whites on death row. 42% of all the individuals on death row are black. 56% are white. You go, okay, so what? Well, the population in America of black Americans is 13%. 13% of America is black, but 42% of those on death row are black. 44% in the state of Texas. 76% in the United States are white. 56% of those on death row in the United States are white. 27% of those in Texas are white. 44% are black. 20-something percent Hispanic. There you go. That's weird. That is wonky. Um, you could ask, why is that? Um, many would immediately cry racial injustice amongst the police force. Others would stand up and counter, no, it's because of broken families. To which it is then countered, well, it is because of social structures that there is a breakdown in the black family. And so you go, this is a huge issue. But you can't just go, that's the reason. Let me give you an example here. Men and women on death row. The percentage of men nationally on death row versus the percentage of women is 98% versus 2%. So you go, why is that? Men are more violent than women, right? Yes. Yes. Now, sociologically, you go, you can't say that because we're equal here. But we know physiologically men and women are different. Testosterone, urgh, estrogen. You know, the, all of the other hormones, that hormone cocktail that you guys got going through your body. Um, you know, men and women are different. Um, and so you can't just say... Well, the police are unfair against men. No, that's not the case. Maybe there's something else behind that. Can that be completely dismissed? No, not necessarily. But you can't just throw reasons at it and go, oh, that's what it is, and then walk away. So there is, it, it appears there is something strange because of this disparity. God's word over and over and over and over again exalts justice. 
that the wrongdoer be punished and the rightdoer be favored, be blessed. So we don't just, well, let's just do away with punishment. No. There has to be justice. We have to seek after, we have to be a people who seek after justice. And if we're still seeking after justice and go, well, there's still this disparity, then we have to figure out what, what is causing this disparity that if justly, and I'm not saying that's the case, but if justly, why are black men arrested at a far greater rate than white men? Like, again, boom, that's, a, that's easy. But, so, the, the justice issue is a huge one, especially with regard to man and man. And so, you can go home and talk about it over lunch today. Uh, think about it, talk about it with your friends there. Uh, God is a God of justice, and we don't just pitch justice um, in, in the argument. All right, moving on. Uh, we discussed warfare last week also. Uh, again, a God-delegated responsibility to nations, to governments there, uh, and highlighted that just war theory comes out of why we, why we fight the way we do, why we don't bomb cities, typically. Not Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that's another whole can of worms. Um, because just war theory was in play at that time. But we target combatants and try not to target civilians. Um, this morning we're going to look at self-defense, man fighting man. Uh, what about self-defense? Is self-defense acceptable? I want to look at a couple of verses. David, flip over to Nehemiah chapter 4. Tracy, would you turn to Deuteronomy 22? David, ever? Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah 4. Verse 9. Verse 9. And we pray to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Context. Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Israel had been in exile. Jerusalem had been sacked. The temple was being rebuilt. Nehemiah is burdened while he is in exile. He's the cupbearer of Artaxerxes. And begs Artaxerxes to let him go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And Artaxerxes says, sure. And so Nehemiah, the Jew, goes back with an entourage and the blessing of the emperor to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And that's what they're doing. Read also verses 13 through 15. Verse 23. So neither I, nor my brother, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Okay. So we're rebuilding a wall with a sword. Self-defense. 
against those who would potentially attack. Self-defense is has always been acceptable. It has always been acceptable within common law in the West. You, know, you have a right to defend yourself. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, Tracy, verses 24 and 27, please. 24 and 27? Yes. Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Because he met her in the open country, and though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. Okay. So what they're talking about is a situation of rape. If a woman was accosted in the city and she didn't cry out for help, according to Jewish law, and get into that whole thing, uh, she was culpable. If she cried out for help, the implication was somebody would come to defend her, would care for her. If it happened to her out in the country, then the dude alone was culpable and would be stoned to death. Why? Because you should be able to defend yourself. She obviously couldn't defend herself, so the onus then comes to the citizens to intervene on her behalf. Now, as a Christian, why might you go, well, there's passages that really say we shouldn't defend ourselves? Yeah, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Okay. Let's, and I don't want to scoff at the Lord's words here. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Turn the other cheek. Verses 38 to 42. Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go, two, go with him two miles. Excuse me. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus Christ was a Jew. He is saying, you have heard it said. Where would they have heard it said? In the law. From the rabbi, in the synagogue. And so let us go to the law. Kara, Exodus chapter 21. Caleb, Leviticus chapter 24. Carol, Leviticus 21, or excuse me, Exodus 21, 24. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. That's where it says that. That's what Jesus is referring to. Caleb, Leviticus 24, 20. Uh, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Okay. Contextually, both of these passages 
deal with the judicial consequences of a criminal act. Okay, somebody has conducted a criminal act and you come to the court for the meeting out of justice. You can see this also in Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, verses 15 to 21. I'm going to read it to you. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is false and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother." so shall you purge the evil from your midst and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Rich, poor, doesn't matter. Your eye shall not judge that way. You are supposed to judge on the crime, justice, okay? So what's being discussed here is going to court and meeting out justice. So when we go back to Christ's words, he's not talking about if you're just standing on a street corner and some guy walks up to you and bops you, then you just go, oh man, just sit here and pummel me. No, you can protect yourself. There's nothing that says you can't protect yourself. In those situations, self-defense that way is perfectly acceptable. What is being discussed in the law and what Christ is referring to is when it comes time to the meeting out of justice, be gracious there. Go ahead. Would you say um, something like martial arts would be a way of self-defense because I know there are a lot of Christians that will be against that, you know, because of the meditation and all that. You're right. Yeah. Some people will take that as going, ah, you just let them beat the tar out of you. Uh, concealed carry. We're in Texas. I mean, people for self-defense. You know, they're not going into United looking for someone to pop. No, but if... There is somebody in the store with a gun and starts shooting people. I want to protect my family. Here's the thing to consider. If this guy walks up to you on a street corner and punches you in the face or rapes my wife, might he do that again? Absolutely. So I would say you are a fool if you go, oh, hey, that's okay. Go ahead. That's that's that is that is not civility in a world structure. The government requires justice. We should all desire justice. But when the wrong comes to me specifically, 
and somebody wrongs me and takes me to court, I can, I can legitimately defend myself and I don't necessarily have to go for uh, remuneration against the guy. I don't, I don't have to then go and make sure he gets his that way. Please. Um, in those times, if a Roman military personnel came up to a, a Jew and wanted them to carry something for them, they were, were required by law to do that. And I think there was maybe a minimum, you know, a mile, whatever. But they never, didn't take that into account. They made them do whatever they wanted to do. They didn't have a say. And I think what's being said here is, yes, you're required to do that, but as human beings, if you're wanting to, you're a spiritual being, and you're wanting to make an influence on the world, sometimes going that extra, extra mile is what we're called to do. It has nothing to do with except being influencing the world for good. Does that make sense? You're going to shine like a light in a very dark place if you are willing to do that. You know, um, a, a robber. Okay, so now you are met on the street by a robber. Okay, is he going to steal from somebody else? Possibly. Possibly not. Do you have an opportunity to converse with the person? Do you have an opportunity actually to help him? Dude, if you need something, let me help you rather than do it this way. Because I, I, I've got stuff that I can give you. I might be my very last of that stuff, but I've got stuff that way. Because initially here in these passages, isn't uh, Jesus is addressing the abuses from the priest or the, the Sanhedrin, the leadership of the Jewish church here, right? So he's saying, you have heard it said. But it has been said. But it has been said that they are saying things too that aren't biblical. Yeah, I don't, I so don't know personally, forgive me for not knowing, how the, how the Sanhedrin would have taught counter to this. You know, we, we, we looked at their tithing. They're, they're like men run on their tithing. Um, or they're meticulous in their tithing, but they're missing the big picture about caring for their families and such. Were you going to say something? Well, I was going to say, originally the eye for eye was to stop the you punch me, I punch you twice. It was like, you're allowed to do justice to the level done. And Jesus was saying... Because I allowed justice to this doesn't mean you have to take it. Like you said, you could be merciful. You could say, yeah, I can take an eye out, but I'll forgive. Yeah. So it's like saying, yes, that's what justice is, but you don't have to take justice. You can show mercy. And an example here recently I heard of uh, Taylor, Taylor Swift. My wife really likes Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, went, a case of hers actually went to the Supreme Court because she was suing for damages. And she was suing for $1 for damages because it wasn't the money, she said, because I don't need the money. It was the principle of the thing. The guy needed to own his wrong or the record company or whatever. And so I'm suing you for $1 just for you, to make you say I was wrong. Maybe I'm sorry. Oh, that'd be wacky. But... To own our guilt there. And if, if somebody is owning their guilt, to absolutely show them grace. I mean, what a, what a light in a dark place.
So self-defense, don't, do not think that self-defense is verboten in the Bible. It is not there, uh, and there are things to, to highlight that. Um, another one of the huge conflicts that we see uh, um, between man and man, and it's been highlighted with regard to the criminal justice system, is racism. Uh, how long has been ra racism been around for? It's the beginning of time. Pretty close. Uh, since, yeah, since there have been, well, and I would even say, you know, we think, when we think racism in America, what do we think? Black and white. Okay, what other kinds of racism are there out there in the world that you know of? Well, it could be white on white that you're like um, different ethnic groups of white and white. Okay. Like the, I'm thinking of like Croatia, Bosnia, oh. there where they really literally hate each other. What a powder keg. And oh, by the way, let's throw religion into the mix. The Christians and the Muslims in Bosnia, Herzegovina, those areas. Okay. Uh, what about Ireland? Ireland's just a, uh, they just Protestant all get along. Catholic. It's pretty and green and everyone gets along, right? Oh, oh. Hatred between the Protestants and the Catholics. Same people. I'm sorry? Same people group. Yeah, there's, there's, okay, who else? I'd say rich and poor. I'm the French Revolution. With their head. You know, the French Revolution was a rich, poor, have, have not. Um, Arabs and Jews. Anybody in the Jews? You know, you, you want you want a people group that's been ostracized by just about anybody and everybody, it would be the Jewish people. God's people. Turks and Greeks. Wow. The Japanese and the Greeks. The, the Japanese hate everybody and everybody hates the Japanese. Uh, you know. And they, and, they, and they will blatantly admit that. I've had, I've had students of all three nationalities they will blatantly say that. Oh, I don't want to sit with them. I don't, don't know what you're saying. Okay. <clears throat> Why is there no place for a group hatred? Because every group is composed of people who are made in God's image. Every human being. Every human being is created in the image of God. I mean, just scan our room here about tall, short, ethnic differences here, hair color, lack of hair. Um, you know, we're right here. We're a little bitty hodgepodge of you know, San Diego, Minnesota. Um, I know. Texas. Um, and, and so it's, it, is a, it is a grief to the living God that there be these divisions among us. And it is such a blessing 
to know that in heaven it will be every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne of God together exalting the living God. You know, praise God for our differences, our beautiful, unique differences, and what a blessing that is, should be, can be in the church, and what a light we then shine into a dark place when we go out and aren't that way toward them because everybody else is that way toward them. Racial strife, consequence of the fall. It's a consequence of the fall. We're all created in God's image. We can go specifically into, well, well hopefully, probably one of the, our last lessons we'll talk about, where even do ethnic differences come from? Interesting. Marriage, broken marriages. Man and man. Broken marriages. What is marriage? Who says? Yeah. Male and female, he created the, he them. That a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two, two, two shall become one flesh. How many? Polygamy? Polygamy, polyamory. Hey. How many? Depends. We love each other. That is outside of what God intended and what God created. So when we untether ourselves from what God says, it's going to be all bets are off as far as what marriage is. <laughs> marriage is a commitment. The two shall become one flesh. What happens if you rip apart one flesh? An avulsion? You know what an avulsion is? A lot of damage. An avulsion, typically with the ear wrestlers, you know, tear. If you just pull hard enough, you can pull an ear off. Okay. That's an avulsion as opposed to a laceration, which is a nice, fairly clean cut. A puncture, an avulsion. It's an avulsion. It is a bloody mess to rip apart two people in a divorce. God provides for divorce. Why? Because we're a fallen race. But for what? For the sin of um, adultery. adultery. Which, oh, by the way, is absolutely desecrating that one flesh idea. Because you're taking yourself and uniting yourself to another. And you show no regard for the sanctity of that one flesh union. So, and people will ask, well, you know, the Bible talks about polygamy. A lot of people in the Bible were polygamous. Abraham. I mean, look at all the patriarchs. They all had multiple wives. Right? No. Huh? It doesn't condone it. That is so good. It doesn't condone it. It simply 
Jeremy talks about this all the time. You can't kind of you can't read that as a blessing. It doesn't say anywhere. God blessed this. Jacob and his two wives and two concubines. You know, no. David, excuse me, Solomon had 900 individuals, some wives, some concubines. And what did they do? Scripture says, led his heart astray. Okay, anywhere, I mean, you look at uh, the life of Jacob with his multiples, and it is, that whole relationship is a mess. It's a mess. God works his blessing through this wretched mess. It is never condoned. The two shall become one flesh. Jesus Christ reiterates the same thing in Matthew chapter 19. Man and a woman. But in a fallen world here, and we looked at it with regard to the consequence, again, Eve is the only one in Genesis chapter 3 who doesn't receive a curse. In the consequence, God says that will come to Eve, he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Wasn't, wasn't Eve's curse, though, that women shall have increased pain and childbirth? That was the one just before, and it wasn't a curse. God tells the serpent, cursed are you. To Adam, he says, cursed are you. To Eve, he does not say that. He says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. Okay, so this has led to what about, what does it mean to be a wife? What is a wife and what is a husband? What are the roles of being a wife and what are the roles of being a husband? We talked about this a couple of months ago about the ideas of complementarianism and egalitarianism. Egalitarianism equal. Equal. We're both equal. Complementarianism is we are different but complementary. Okay? So are we equal? Yes. Are, yes, how so? Okay. Are you, are you as much an image bearer of God as Absolutely. I am? In the image of God, he made man. Male and female, he created them. Yes. Image bearers. Every one of you. Christian, non-Christian. Male or female. Every human being is an image bearer of God. So in that sense, absolutely. We are equal. Are we distinct? Absolutely. You can go back to prison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By a factor of 98% to 2%. That different. That night and day different. Now, have we recognized the differences between male and female in history past? Absolutely. Today, it's gotten completely gooned up. Uh, in the House of Representatives, they have instituted rules during this session. Okay, Clause 8C3 of Rule 23 
strikes the words from any law coming before the House of Representatives, strikes the words, father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, first cousin, nephew, niece, husband, wife, father-in-law, mother-in-law, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, stepfather, stepmother, stepson, stepdaughter, stepbrother, stepsister, half-brother, half-sister, grandson or granddaughter, and will insert parent-child, sibling, parent-sibling, first cousin, siblings, child, spouse, parent-in-law, child-in-law, yada, yada, yada. What's the difference? Gender. They neutered it. That was all largely on the drive of Nancy Pelosi, who then, this last week, standing before the House of Representatives in her impeachment speech for Donald Trump, she said, I stand before you today as a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a daughter, a daughter whose father proudly served in this Congress. <laughs> you can't live that way. Because we know the reality. We're men and women, male and female. We're different. We watch a show that has a lot of martial arts in it. And if you take a black belt male and a black belt female, probably nine times out of ten at least, he's going to wax her. Mixed martial arts, you know, that's, that, is, that is brutal. Both men and women do mixed martial arts. But you put a woman in against a man in mixed martial arts, you don't see women wanting to fight the men at the same level. In boxing, golf, they tried it. The men just crushed them. It's not because the women are terrible at golf. Or mixed martial arts. But when as a man I can outdrive a woman by 75 yards, man, my, my courses are a whole lot shorter than hers are. We talked about it in greater detail when we looked at the one that God created them, male and female, at what the distinctions were hormonally between male and female. And the female hormones are uniquely structured for her to do what? Nurture. Nurture. What? Puppies? Children. Babies. What is God's intention for marriage? Procreate. To procreate. That is one of the big ones. That is like one of the big ones that is almost severed and dismissed today because of birth control. I don't have to have babies anymore. And so babies are like, a, uh, that's, a, that's almost a, well, let's think about it at some point. No, it used to be it just happened. It was a natural part of marrying. You were going to create a family. That is God's intention in marriage is for family. The other intention, subduing the earth and having stewardship. And for 6,000 years, the roles within marriage that, that the wife was going to become a mother, and because she was a mother, she was going to essentially be the keeper in the home. She was going to 
keep the home in order while the husband went out and did whatever the husband did. That changed, shifted, largely due to two events. One would be the Industrial Revolution, where all of a sudden women and children are being pushed into factories. Also with the Industrial Revolution came a lot of amenities to help out in the home. I now have a washing machine. I don't have to wash all the clothes by hand. I have a vacuum cleaner. I have a, a dishwasher. I have, an, I have a stove. The other thing was World War II. When all the men were gone and to help fight the war, the women had to. I mean, what a time of great sacrifice for our entire nation. So it raises the question then, because we can do this, should we do this? You know, is it good for women to be working outside the home? Maybe yes. It is, this is like, like the prison question. This is not an easy boink. Here's the answer. But in the context of God's word and in the context of the creation, we have to think about what is God's intention. So what's it mean to be a woman in the context of marriage? Childbearing and probably heavy labor is not going to be on your shoulders. We talked about the hormonal, emotional differences. So for a woman going into marriage, there should be a joyful hope and expectation of children. That may not happen. Hannah, Sarah, I mean, it seems like all the godly women in the Bible were barren. What's it mean to be a man in the context of marriage? You know, is he the provider and defender of the home? He's structured that way. Should the roles ever be reversed? Should the man be working in the home or in the home and the woman out because she's a brain surgeon? Okay. Or should it be be physical, physically incapable of being a laborer and is restricted to um oh. but he can labor within those walls. Wow. Okay. I would say he would still be the one held ultimately responsible by God Why? for family because that's the way God made yeah. it. Husband is the head of the wife. Ooh. Can I say that in this culture? Yeah, because that's what God said. That doesn't mean he's Lord and over. We're still equal. We are equal, but in the structure of the family, 
Incapacitation, stewardship. Um, but the caution, the caution of the creation remains here for us. If it diminishes our primary God-appointed roles within the marriage and within the family, nurturing motherhood, then we should perhaps reevaluate our purposes and our motives for wanting to work outside the home or to work inside the home. What are my motives entering into marriage? Is it for me? Is it for me and her, just me and her? Or is it for God's glory and purpose? In Titus chapter 2, Paul gives Titus an admonition to teach within his church. Sorry. He gives admonitions to older men, older women, younger women, younger men. To the older women, he exhorts them to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women in the church to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So it was, it was expected because there was no industrial revolution because there was no World War II that, that that is where women were going to be. They were going to be in the home up until about 100 years ago. That was like, that, that was normal. There would be single women who would do things outside the home and have ministry opportunities out there. There's more to talk about with regard to this. We'll talk about this more <laughs> next week as we finish up discussing uh, the brokenness within the home. But are there any questions, any, any thoughts, any Please. I had uh, one comment. When King James changed, uh, when he um, created the King James Version, um, he, uh, he basically relied on Tyndale's version, which was a very good translation of Greek. Of Greek. So when King James did that, he changed some of it. The King James Version is, is just slightly changed, but he changed. And when he changed, he changed for a reason. When, if you look in the Greek, the, ver, the verbs for submit and so forth, we take that as the strict hierarchy that God's saying women are doing. That was actually put into it by King James, a lot of that. The original Greek has the idea of a husband and wife submitting to each other out of love. That When you look at that that Greek word, yeah, it, applies, it applies to other situations as well. Mm -hmm. It also applies to young men. And older men, mm -hmm. it doesn't say you have to submit to older. It's the idea of, look, res be respectful, be in the attitude of an a verb of submitting yourself to other people out of love. So the word is actually hupotasso to put underneath is what the word is there, and it is to put yourself under. 
just it's, as it's actually a, a process as God a, as God the Son, yeah. God the Son, co-equal with God the Father, submitted to the Father in all things. That I come to do my Father's will. Again, that is that does not mean the the husband is the. All the rules are my rules, and you just like this. We are one flesh together, but in the marriage relationship, the husband as the head of the wife in 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians chapter 5, as Christ is the head of the church, is to lead his wife and to serve his wife in servant leadership that way. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Or verse 20, right before it gets into the wives, submit to your husband, submit yourself to one another. You know, put yourself under one another. So that truth goes there, but within the context of marriage, there is the complementarian structure uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, and from Genesis chapter 1. That way. All right, we are out of time. Uh, we can stand around and uh, continue to discuss. Please do. And uh, may God bless our time in worship here this morning.